laughing a lot more already if Chad were here right now. He's uh, one of the funniest guys that I know. How many of you agree with that? That's just one of the funniest guys. Fun, loving, great to be around. Just, and I just want to tell you guys this. He, he loves you. So when he called me a little while back and said, could you come and, and be in one of the weeks that I'm out? And I said, man, I would love to. I'd love to do that. And then he just started bragging about all of you and how this journey has been so good for him and his family and how much he loves what God's doing here. But uh, I should probably quit bragging on Chad because y'all already know how cool he is. Um, but I should brag on my family. That's my family over there. And that picture is evidence of what happens when I try to organize a family picture. If you'll notice, only our oldest son on the far, far right is actually looking at the camera when this, uh, this takes place over there. And our dogs, there's actually two dogs. You can't see one of them because she's a golden doodle, but she's all the same color as their jeans on the far right side of the screen. But this is what happens when dad tries to organize a family picture. And this is what happens when, when mom organizes a family picture. So I, I brought this up just to let you know that... If, if you guys were really blessed, my wife would be here today instead of me because she's the one that holds everything together. And uh, this afternoon, I'll go home to Atlanta. We're in transition to San Antonio where I serve as one of the pastors at Community Bible Church. And, um, and so we're still in transition, selling a house, doing a variety of other things to get there. But today, I get to go home and I will be home for a solid week. And that's going to be so much fun for me. But she's just a lot smarter than I am. She's a lot funnier than I am. She's a lot everything that I am. She is so much better and I'm so grateful that God gave me a wife that just <laughs> complimenting me is, is, not, is not the right word. I don't know what the right word is. But see, my, my wife has two degrees in psychology. So I should have seen something coming. Like she has, so her two degrees focus in behavior modification. So I would go away on a trip, a ministry trip, and I would come back, and when I would get back home, the home would be in total order. I mean, everything was right in the world. And she, I'd been gone for three or four days, and everything was clean. I, ha I looked over, and I saw three-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, ten-year-olds, like, cleaning their room, vacuuming, putting away dishes, sorting towels, you know, and, and I'm like, Kim, how in the world do you do this? Like, I'm, you're gone for 20 minutes and this whole house is a total wreck and we're playing in the backyard and we're dragging in mud everywhere and it's just total nonsense and she said it's really easy it's just it's just behavior modification it's positive you add something negative you take something away punishment is to de decrease the behavior reinforcement is to increase the behavior so I just have them do some things and they actually choose to do the right things when you handle those things the right way and I was like man I wish I wish you could teach me all that and then I I had this long pause. How much of my behavior have you modified in the 15 years that we've been married? And she said, we'll talk about that later. I was like, no, you're doing it right now, aren't you? You're not even going to let me talk about what I want to talk about. I drive a minivan and I like it. How did you make that happen? I mean, I watched Downton Abbey. How did you make that work? And I look forward to it. So I'm just telling you, my wife is, is pretty stinking amazing. And I'm just uh, so excited I get to be with her. So 
today, you know, if I'm a little distracted, it's just because I'm going to go see that family. So in the rest of the people in the family that are important too are Seth is our oldest. He's on the far right. His wife, Laura, their college sweetheart. They're married in Atlanta and set, stabled and set there. Drew is the next one over from Laura. He's, um, he was born on my 30th birthday and he was the full fulfillment of the mother's curse. I hope you have a child one day that's just like you. And so he is that child and we, we know and understand each other. Like I know what he's going to do before he does it and I just watch it anyway. <laughs> so we're, we're the same person. And then Mary Beth is the sweet youngest of our four kids. She's uh, 16 and she's going to be a senior this year in Atlanta and we're probably going to let her graduate there. So just, just continue to pray for us as a family and transition for what looks like mostly a, another year. And then there's Kim, of course, uh, my much, much better half. And then to my, uh, your, well, I guess that's your left, um, my left on the screen, that's Nate. And in about six days, he's going to the Dominican Republic for three years on an assignment. And uh, the most important character in that whole thing is the dog beneath me down there. His name is Chef, and uh, he is the world's greatest dog. I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you, he's, he's awesome. He's so fun. They teach him things uh, when I'm gone, and he has new tricks every time we come home. Apparently today when I get home, I'm supposed to ask him, Hey, Chef, be cute, and he's going to jump up and lick me in the mouth. That's, that's what they've trained him to do while I'm gone. So you guys pray for our family as we're in transition. I'm praying for you too in this time where Chad's going to be out. Now I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And in this passage we see a phrase that we saw in Genesis 1 28. When Wes was reading just a few minutes ago, he, he read that God created male and female in his own image. Male, he created him. Female, he created them. And, and so, then he looked at them, and the first words out of God's mouth to Adam and Eve were, Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And when we look at the church today, I think God's looking at us and saying, Hey guys, I want us to wake up and figure out how we, we multiply. What I, what I said in Genesis 1, I said again in Genesis 9-6 when Noah started over. I said it three times to make sure he didn't miss it. Be fruitful and multiply. I want you to multiply greatly. Be fruitful and multiply. So he used the daddy voice and he said it three times. You, you know when you don't pay attention to your dad and he says it more and he says it louder? That's what God did all through the book of Genesis. If you, if you track through the book of Genesis, you'll see almost 40 different episodes where God's saying, multiplying, I will multiply you. Blessing you, I will bless you. So multiplication is the mark of God's blessing. And every church, every church multiplies not on the single worship gathering level. They multiply when the people of God in their lives become influential in the, in the spheres of influence that they have. So we're going to talk about that today and we're going to look at the book of Acts because when you get past Genesis, the word multiply doesn't appear a whole lot in the Old Testament. When you get in the New Testament, it, it actually doesn't appear a whole lot. And if you track it and you watch, even in the book of Acts, in the early chapters it says, and he added to their number daily those who were being saved. He added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It says it three different times, but the first time multiply comes back into focus in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 6, and it happens because there was a problem. 
there was a problem. So I want you to get the narrative of the book of Acts real quick. In the book of Acts, it's a story not just about the earth. It doesn't just track missionary journeys and Paul's missionary journeys. What it actually is tracking is the progress of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. That's, that's the story. That's the drive. The hero of the story of the book of Acts is the gospel and how it gets from Jerusalem to Rome. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Here's, here's what it says. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's just the Greek people, the non-Jewish people, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So if you were Jewish and you were following Jesus around, you knew you're supposed to take care of widows and orphans. You knew that. So they were being fed by the Jewish people. The reason that the Greeks weren't being fed is because they didn't, they didn't grow up in a culture where that was the norm. So they were looking at the church and they were saying, wait a minute, all of our needs are being met in Acts chapter 2. Everybody had as they need and everybody gave as they had. So when somebody was in need, the church would meet all of those needs, whatever it was. It's so cool to look at Acts 2 through Acts 6, not a single problem mentioned in the church, which tells us we know that wasn't just a Baptist church, right? It means we know it wasn't just a, a typical southern church in, in the southern Bible Belt. It, we know it was a unique church. So, what they, what they, when they respond, they, they summon the twelve and the full number of disciples. Okay, so you go through the book of Acts and you see this is there. He's adding daily to the number of those who are being saved. You see 3,000 here. You can count 5,000 here. So, this is actually a lot of people. They're gathering all the disciples and they gathered the, they summon the twelve. And the twelve summoned them all together. And, and here's what the people bring, bringing the charge said. It's not right... Uh, These are the apostles saying, It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. So sometimes when a problem comes up, what we do is we present it to leadership and say, Hey, how are y'all going to fix this? How are you going to address this? Chad, come on, man. You know, you got the hours in. You get get the paycheck. Jared, come on. You, You put the hours in. Surely you guys can solve this problem. The difficulty with that mentality in many of the churches that I've served in my life is that makes the staff turn into people who put out fires all the time. We're just, you, you point out fires and we go put them out. And you point out fires and we put them out. That's, that's kind of, in some churches, that's kind of the, the modus operandi. So we don't want it to be the modus operandi. So what we do is we go back and say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It didn't mean that they were too good to serve. It just simply meant, hey, we've got to keep preaching the word. God's given that to us. And then they said, here's a solution. Here's a solution. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word while you're doing that. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now, can you believe that? They had a business meeting and the whole gathering was pleased. Does that ever happen? Uh, But here, apparently it happened. Maybe it's because it was the first one. They didn't know how boring business meetings could be. And they hadn't learned how to, you know, Robert's Rules of Order yet, maybe. I'm not sure what was going on there. But it said that that solution pleased everyone. So these men, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, will appoint them to the duty, and we'll devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the world. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And then they chose seven. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip. 
and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then watch this verse, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many even of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, so what we want to talk about today is how to activate ordinary people. These believers, all they had was Jesus. So just Jesus is, a, is, is what probably the disciples, the apostles said all the time. And the disciples probably picked that up. And when a problem came up, they said, well, how would Jesus solve this? Well, let's pray. Let's figure this out. Let's pull everybody together. Let's solve this problem. Let's move this to the right place. So just Jesus, we're all ordinary people. Nobody in this room is super extraordinary. We're ordinary folk. And the gospel moves to people through people. I want you to say that one with me. Okay, let's, let's look on the screen. Let's say it together. The gospel moves to people through people. And the story of Acts is how the gospel got from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. So how did that happen? The gospel moves to people through people. That's how it happened. So lots of times, because we have great gatherings and a great preacher like Chad, and we have great worship like we had today, and we have great people, we we feel like our our deal, our goal is, if I can get them here, God can get them home. And, And what God's doing in heaven is He's saying, if I can get them in relationship with you, I, the Holy Spirit living in you, will get them home. And so... Our strength is not just when we gather in this place, it's when we scatter and go to our lives because we're carrying the gospel with us everywhere that we go. So the gospel moves to people through people. I want you to check this out too. Um, let's read that last verse in, in, in chapter 6, verse 7 that we read just a minute ago so that we all hit the value of multiply greatly. Now we can read it together, but when we get to the red letters, you need to say it louder. Okay, so I just need to hear it. Like, I I want you to say it so loud that you part my hair on the other side of my head, you know? So let's jump in where the red letters go. Let's read it together. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see that it, it noted two things here. Multiplied greatly. It didn't, they were adding, 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 adding. Now all of a sudden they're multiplying. And they're multiplying so much so that people who radically stood against Jesus became obedient to the faith. Any of y'all know some people who radically stand against Jesus in your life? You got a few of those? Man, don't assume that they won't come to Jesus if they start watching the Jesus in you do the stuff that only Jesus can do. It's a pretty cool thing. So we do church and we hope to get some disciples in the process. Jesus made disciples... And he got the church. So let me ask you, are you making disciples? Personally, are you stepping into people's lives and telling them, hey, some people have invested some things into me. I would love to invest them into you. And I'm not talking about church friends. I'm talking about people at work that you can have lunch with, that you can have breakfast with, that you can have coffee with. I'm talking about people in your workspace. I'm talking about people in your home space, your neighbors that don't know Jesus at all. What, what if they came and had a meal at your house and your goal wasn't to tell them about Jesus but was just to get a relationship with people that might not know him so that they could come to faith? That That's how God multiplied greatly. That's how God added to their number early. And now he's beginning to, I don't know if you caught this, he's beginning to give ministry from the the apostles to the saints. 
just us ordinary folk, right? He's starting to say, the advance of the church isn't going to run on the back of your great leaders. It's going to run on the back of ordinary, just normal folk like you and me. Isn't it encouraging to you that God wants to use you? He doesn't have to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to bar your feet so he can walk into rooms that you walk into. Chad's going to make disciples. Jared's going to make disciples. A lot of people here are making disciples. But your goal isn't just for you to make disciples. It's for your disciples to make disciples. And so if that's ever going to happen, we have to get to layers that are outside what we do in these walls. Now check this one out. So God, um, really when he sent Jesus to earth, he sent him with a plan. And I want you to know what his plan was. These three um, bathroom men, that's what I guess that is, right? That's a, that's a sign of three bathrooms or that's a sign of three men. But on this screen, what it really means is that those three represent the influence of the 12 disciples that Jesus spent three years with. Let me just, just kind of throw something out there for you. God's plan for peace in the Middle East was he spent three years with 12 Jewish men. God's plan for delivering the inner city with whatever else it's wrestling with and whatever trouble's going on there, he spent three years with 12 Jewish men. God's plan for saving you is he spent three years with 12 Jewish men. He, he only had one plan, and it was, I'm going to make disciples, and they're going to make disciples. And even when he called these guys to be apostles, they were in the 72. They went up to a mountain in Luke 6, and, and Jesus looked at them and said, you know what, this movement's getting too big. i got to pick 12 that I can pour everything into. And right in front of a room of 72 people, he was like, you know, I want you, not you, not you, you, not you. I mean, it was like being back in kindergarten on the playground for kickball. Some people got picked to be apostles and some didn't. But if you notice, Jesus has great multiplication skills because he chose 12 and there were 72. That meant how many of his disciples were they going to take under their wings immediately and teach them what Jesus was teaching them? It's a one on six. So he knew, he knew the principle of small groups. So these three represent all of the disciples. And I want you to know that disciple making is built this way. Read it with me. And the red letter still, principle still works. More time... Read it with me. Ready, go. More time with fewer people equals greater kingdom impact. Greater kingdom impact. We can spend a lot of time with people in hundreds and thousands. And we won't know whether they ever do anything with what we teach. But if we focus on a few, we can be accountability in their life. We can be presence and support and encouragement in their life. And we can make a difference. So... Uh, let's go back to these three guys. They had a natural sphere of influence. These are the people they knew. So this is the, the three representing the twelve. So if you took everybody that the twelve knew and you said, hey, how are we going to reach all of them? They all had been walking with Jesus. They learned everything he learned. So all of a sudden, you look up and in that context, they've started reaching some people. And as, as they reached some people, they started going and getting their friends. And then they pretty much saturated the, the gospel getting to their whole sphere of influence. And they were so effective that, let's be honest, they didn't just saturate their whole sphere of influence. They got some people they didn't even expect to get. Because that's just God just gives the overflow. The Holy Spirit using you in your life is what that's about. And he, he looked at the church when they said, hey, we've got a problem. The, Jewish, the, the, Greek, the Greek ladies aren't being fed. So he said, well, you guys pick, the, the, the disciples, the apostles said, you guys pick seven men full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, and let's, let's pick them out. Now, I want you to notice these names. Stephen, Philip, 
Prochorus. Do these sound like Jewish names to you? Okay, no, well, they're not. Okay, so Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. And if you got Timon, you always have somebody close behind. Who's that? Pumbaa, there you go, Warthog. That's right, so you have Timon and Pumbaa. I'm sure Pumbaa was there. Parmenas and Nicholas. Guess, if it was Greek people complaining about their widows not getting fed, guess, guess what those names are of their ethnic origin. They're Greek. They're Greek. He said, you know what? We need to pe- teach the people who know the people who need how to meet the need of the people that they know. So let's, let's find seven Greek men and let's put those Gentiles in relationship with the ladies who need help. And when they did that, all of a sudden, what was a problem became a solution. And when the apostles gave ministry away to the saints, and the saints started doing ministry in their own sphere of influence, more started happening than had ever happened before. How many of you want more from God? How many of you would just love to just say, Lord, just you're doing great things in our lives. I just want more. We call that Christian hedonism. Lord, I want more kingdom stuff going on in my life. I want more gospel stuff happening through my life. I want the gospel to move to people through me. Not just through people, but through me. I want that to take place. So the apostles knew we can't stop doing what we're trying to do and and just go feed these people, we've got to actually activate the body. So what the apostles knew is ministry had to shift from the apostles to the ordinary believers. Had to go to Philip, Stephen, Prochorus, Nicanor. It had to go to the Greek men who had the issue, who had the needs. The believers received it with glad hearts because they even knew that disciples need to be producers for the kingdom, not just consumers. We don't just come sit and soak. We don't just come and face forward and listen to a guy talk for a little while and tip God and pray for the missionaries and wait for another week to come. What we do is we say, hey, I come here to be encouraged That so when I go out from here, my sphere of influence at work, at home, in my play space, is all the place where God's going to multiply us greatly as a church. That's what God does. Now look, these men all had, and their families all had a sphere of influence of their own. So now instead of having just the twelve and that one sphere of influence, now they have a whole ring of other spheres of influence all around and that's the way, that's the methodology, that's the engineering and the architecture of how Jesus designs movement. I really want you to read this one with me. Let's, we must know. Ready, read it, go. The movement of God grows out of control when ordinary believers step into their supernatural significance. This is not just small stuff. This is really big stuff. Because what God's saying to you is through His Holy Spirit, everything He could do through Paul, everything He could do through Peter, James, John... Everything he did himself, in John 14, 12, he said, you're going to do not just the things I've been doing, but you're going to do greater things than I've done. What in the world did that mean? The moment you receive Jesus, he bec- you become his dwelling place. He lives in you. All you've got is Jesus. These people didn't even have the New Testament. It was being written with their lives. 
All they had was Jesus and what they knew of him. And Jesus, they became Jesus' dwelling place. He lived in them. So everywhere they went, Jesus went. And so when all we have is just Jesus, we've got enough. We've got enough to do whatever he calls us to do. That's why he wants us to answer this question. Do you believe you don't have to settle for being a part of something awesome? Through Christ, you can be the cause of something awesome. God wants us to do that. And I know that you guys are the people in the room that do that all the time. But I just want to remind you and support you from the word. You don't have to settle for being a part of the awesome things this church is doing. You can be the cause of amazing things that are happening in your workspace, your play space, and your home space. You know, most of it happens just by having meals together. Go through the Gospels and try to find a place where Jesus wasn't running to a meal or from a meal. Go try to find a place where he wasn't running to a party or from a party. All the conversations he has on the way, he's having them on the way somewhere. And just, just watch him. Follow him around the Gospels. When Paul summarized this whole principle, he said, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to faithful men, faithful women, who will lead others also. That's all part of the equation. I want you to note these seven men for just a second, though. There's a couple, couple specific things that the book of Acts keeps tracking a couple of these guys. So the ministry of Philip and the ministry of Stephen were pretty significant. And if you follow from Acts 6 through Acts 8, 25, even up to verse 40, what you'll know and what you'll notice is that Stephen and Philip became significant leaders in the church. Stephen was the first martyr. You remember this? You just go to Acts chapter 8. He was the first martyr. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was one of the ordinary people. In this, in this ordinary situation, he preached a message to people that were resisting Christianity and he preached it really boldly and he made everybody mad. Y'all ever sat in a room where a preacher made you mad? Anybody? I mean, I, I, I've watched it in rooms my whole life. Like, preacher talks about stewardship. Everybody gets mad. Everybody gets upset, frustrated. Sometimes the preacher steps on our toes. We get mad for a little bit before we get happy about the fact that somebody cares us enough to, to challenge and press us forward. So the people got mad and they decided they were going to stone him. And in the crowd, when Stephen was stoned, there was a guy named Saul. You remember the story? You, you track him with me? And so he's watching and probably instigating and probably initiating what's going on. And he has to watch Stephen repeat the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And he literally is stoned to death forgiving the people who are stoning him. And here's what the Bible records. His face looked like the face of an angel. The glory of God shone around him in such a way that everybody saw it. And here's what the Bible says, that Jesus, who had been seated at the right hand of the throne of God, stood up and applauded the first martyr of the church. And it wasn't because it was one of his apostles. It was an ordinary dude who had huge significance in the New Testament. Had a huge impact on this guy named, whose name would turn to Paul in Acts chapter 9 when God blinded him on a road to Damascus and let him know, I'm not going to let you persecute my people anymore. 
But let's follow Philip for just a minute. You follow Philip through the rest of the book of Acts. You can see him in, in chapters 7, 8, 9. You can see him also in, in 21 at the end of the book. But here's what Philip did. Philip, as an ordinary dude, not an apostle, he, he was minding his own business, and he was a part of a revival, and all of a sudden there was an Ethiopian eunuch going from somewhere to somewhere, and nobody had any need, and God translated him. You know what, you know what the word translate means? It's like Scotty beamed me up. It was like he was gone, and now he was here, and he's sitting in a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch. Some many, many, many miles away. I think, I think somebody has uh, said it was 62, and somebody else says it's 38. However many miles away it was, I just know he got beamed up. And so the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants to, and miraculously he translated him from one place to another place, and he was reading the scrolls in Isaiah, and he said, listen, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the, the eunuch said, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. How can I without somebody to teach me? And he said, you know what? I'm going to teach you. And he taught him. And the moment that he taught him, he said, listen, what prevents me from being baptized? What pre- prevents me from knowing Jesus right now? Now, you talk about your sphere of influence. This is a sphere of influence he didn't even have. So the Holy Spirit got miraculous with him and gave him a brand new sphere of influence that I guess if I'm here and I was there and I don't know how this happened because Star Wars and all that sort of stuff hadn't happened yet so I don't know exactly how this could take place and so if this hadn't t- taken place and Star Trek hadn't taken place and Beam Me Up hadn't taken place he didn't know what happened he just suddenly was in one place and was in another place it's like a bug flying when your car's on the interstate and it hits an invisible glass doesn't know what happened and its insides come out I mean that's kind of what Philip went through so Philip's sitting in the he's sitting in the chariot with this guy and says listen let me explain it to you and he taught him all the Old Testament passages leading to Jesus he said what what prevents me from being saved what prevents me from being baptized they probably found some little mud puddle and said ain't nothing prevents you from being baptized oh you're a eunuch they don't allow that in the Jewish faith well Jesus he's a different kind of a Jew he's perfectly okay with you being a eunuch let's Let's, let's let you give your life to Jesus and let's baptize you. And so he baptized him, came up out of the water. All of a sudden, Philip's gone again. I mean, the eunuch was sitting there by himself. So now the eunuch's like, where'd the dude go? Must have been an angel. Must have been. An, have you ever had one of those must have been an angel moments in your life? Who knows what God did to make that happen? God's big enough to do whatever he wants to do. He can command the elements. He can command us. What he really wants is a people who don't have to be commanded that want to multiply in their spheres of influence. It's a big deal. So Philip, Stephen, ordinary people, had a huge role in the early New Testament church. But what most people don't do is they don't follow Philip all the way to Acts 21. And when you get to Acts 21, what you discover is Philip had a nickname. Anybody know Philip's nickname? It's Philip the Evangelist. They started calling him Philip the Evangelist because he would just lead people to Christ just left and right. And this guy named Paul now, who used to be named Saul, and the last time Philip saw him is probably when Stephen was stoned and saying, hey, Stephen and I were buds. We, we, went, we went to deacon training together. We were, we were on top of things. And, and you killed him. You know, you were, you're the guy who basically led to him going down. And so Saul, that's now Paul, has some sort of conversation. He stays there with Philip for a length of time. And they just sit because Paul now is on his way to Rome. And guess what's going to happen to Paul when he gets to Rome? He's going to be martyred for his faith. 
And so he and Philip just sit there and say, hey, you remember? You remember that day? Yeah, I remember it. It was a sad day. But Paul, back then you were my enemy. Now because of Jesus, you're my brother. You remember when his face shone like an angel? You remember that in Stephen? When you go to your death, I have no idea how God's going to use it, but I bet you he'll be standing up and applauding. So, the man who was a chosen apostle, Paul, being encouraged by an ordinary brother. Let me just take this sidetrack for a second. One of the primary roles of you as church members is keep your leaders encouraged. Even if they're facing tough stuff. Even if they're facing, like in Paul's case, he's facing, I'm going to go to Rome and they're going to kill me. And Agabus tried to tell him, hey, Paul, don't go to Rome. I've had a, I've had a, I've had a vision. They're going to kill you there. Don't. Listen, my prophecy is don't go. And Paul said, you don't understand. That's God's will for me. It, you're right. I am going to go to Rome and they are going to kill me, but that's what God has for me. So I'm going to go. And he just stays there with Philip. And they just encourage each other. He lands in Caesarea for his life. His daughters are involved in ministry. It mentions that. Um, What you need to hear from this is every member of every church and every disciple of Jesus, you have a major significant role to play in the advancement of the gospel. You're not second teamers. You're not the B team. You're the A team. As a matter of fact, God told those of us who have been called into assignments for ministry leadership, He said, your job is to equip the saints for works of service. It's, it's not for us necessarily to go do all the amazing things. Your life is already intersecting with all those people in your workplace, in your play space. You know, if, if my wife can modify my behavior... God doesn't need a behavior modification tool. He doesn't need to know about positive and negative and punishment and reinforcement. What he has is his Holy Spirit alive in you and what I hope is continuing to be reinforced in, from him in you today is that I don't care if anybody else thinks you can do it. I know that you can because I'm in you and you can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'd love to come back to this church in a year and see that God has used you to multiply it greatly. But I know as great as Chad and Jared and Alex and other leaders that you have are, it's not going to happen on the back of just a few leaders. It's going to happen when ordinary believers take over the mission of the church. Let's pray. Lord, we pray today encouraging the movement of the gospel to take place through your people. Lord, my wife has made me such a better man through behavior modification and through teaching me how to love and teaching me how to do that. We're not asking you to modify anybody's behavior. We're asking you to remind us who we are in Christ and that you gave us the job we have because there's people there that need mission. (laughs) You gave us the home we have because there's people who live around us that need mission. gave us the friends we have and the people that we play with and the people that we have fellowship with because they they need mission and ministry.
really starts with being a believer. So today, if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, haven't acknowledged that He's God's Son, that He's God, that He died for your sins and He rose from the grave, He's here for you today. He's available to you today. If you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, I just want to encourage you in this way, just silently where you are. Just say, Lord, I want to give all of me to all of you for all my life. I pray that you would change me. And I pray that you would use me. Not because I owe you anything because you paid it all, but I pray that you would use me so that I can pay forward to others what has been given to me in Christ. Lord, use me, save me. I thank you for being the Lord and I acknowledge you as Lord of my life. Listen with every head bowed and every eyes closed. If you did that today, I just want to acknowledge it with you. I'm not going to point you out or anything like that, but if you trusted Jesus today, would you just raise your hand for just a second and put it right back down. Praise the Lord. We've got some new brothers and sisters in Christ in the room. If you pray to receive Jesus, I just want to encourage you to let me know or let one of the leaders here know or put it on um, the back of a bulletin and drop it in the hands of people at the greeting booth when you go out. Here's the second piece of challenge today. How many of you would be willing to loan Jesus your workspace, your play space, (laughs) and your home space? And if he could use you to impact any one of those three areas, you say, Lord, I'm all in. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm all in for that. I'm all in for that. Use me. So, Lord, you've seen people who've heard from you and responded to you, and I pray what you would do is just raise an army. This city needs you. And these people are who you're going to use. So Lord, as we continue to respond in worship, we want to ask you to continue to seal this in our hearts. And as we worship, we're responding to revelation that you've given us. So Lord, we pray that you would let our hearts be fully and openly yours and we would express ourselves with the depth of appreciation that we have for what you've done for us in Jesus. So Lord, would you lead us now as we worship you it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Would you stand?